You know, like when you see those people in their their late 20s, early 30s driving Lamborghinis down the road, who knows? Maybe they rented it for a day and they're just trying to flex or maybe they actually did buy it. Let's let's talk about what actually did buy it. Right. Like, how do you think they bought it? Do you think they they bought it working their nine to five, making one hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year and um, investing, you know, a fair portion of that in to the S&P 500 and, you know, putting money in their 401k, all that I don't think so. You know how long that would take? Like, even if you were making like 200K a year, which is well above the national average, like even if you were making that much money, like like if you still managed to buy that Lamborghini, like you're, you'd probably be living in an apartment because it drained you so much. Like you wouldn't have land, you know, it's like all that. And so you have to ask yourself, like, how does a person afford that at a reasonable time? And they did it because they were able to come up with an idea that benefited a bunch of different people or maybe a few different people in a large way and they're able to add value to society. And how do we know that they're able to provide value to society? Well, people were willing to pay them for their product or service. And because of that, they made a lot of money. So why doesn't the slow lane work, Gavin? The slow lane doesn't work because there's essentially no leverage in the slow lane approach. What's happening is people are working for a company and they're making some sort of wage or they're making some sort of hourly rate, essentially. Even if like you're a lawyer or something like that and you're making like $500 an hour, you're still, your your outputs are essentially tied to your inputs. They're very closely tied, I should say. And that's not going to get you to where you need to go in the long run. You're not going to essentially be able to get that Lamborghini. You're not going to be able to get that that time that everybody's looking for, that freedom. And so the slow lane approach essentially says that you're going to work for a company. You're going to make some hourly rate, okay? And then you're going to save X percent of that money and you're going to invest it in stocks, the S&P 500 or something like that. You're going to put it in your 401k. You're going to put it in all these retirement plans. And that's essentially what you learn from going to college, right? That's that's what most people are taught. And that's what most people are going to do that get a college education at, and do work for a decent company. They're, they're going to play by that slow lane approach. And in the book, Millionaire Fastlane, the, the author teaches us that this approach is not going to get you to where you want to go fast, right? Th this approach is going to work long-term. You know, you're probably going to be able to retire when you're 60, 70. I don't know. Warren Buffett seems to think that you're going to be working until the day you die if your, your inputs and outputs are that closely tied together. And so I think if this is your first time reading a book like this, it's pretty eye-opening. I think the the first time I ever heard something similar to this was when I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of Robert Kiyosaki, but I think the stuff he was saying in the book is true. And I think in Millionaire Fastlane, I, I think it's portrayed in a better way because he talks about what like the common misconception is, which is the slow lane approach. Um, he also talks about the the sidewalk approach, which we'll we'll talk about more later. But I think overall, it's it's pretty eye opening if if it definitely is the your first time hearing it because most people do think that the the slow lane 
is the the best approach, especially if that's all you know, because it's what you're taught growing up. And this kind of teaches you to think outside the box because that approach isn't going to get you to where you want to go, especially in your 20s or early 30s or something like that. Yeah, and the key to a fast lane approach is having sort of your own vehicle to grow your money rather than relying on other people. Because in the slow lane, the idea is you have a normal job and you're investing and you're building up your assets, like using your house to grow your wealth and building up your 401ks and retirement stuff so that everything works together where eventually you'll have enough money to retire if everything goes well. But all that is dependent upon hope. You're hoping that the markets do well. You're hoping that you'll keep your job. You're hoping that inflation doesn't kill all the money you have invested, right? And so since you're so dependent upon hope in that system, it doesn't really work if you actually look at the math. Even though it says, oh, $40 is worth millions in you know 60 years or whatever, that, that math doesn't really work out once you take into account all the risk and you having no control. Instead, you want to be able to control what's making you money and you want to be able to control how you grow it. Uh, the third option, which I think barely needs to be talked about, is called the sidewalk. And that's just like insatiable consumption. It's not actually moving towards any sort of productivity. It's just saying, um, you know, my my wealth is what um, the money I have available, both in terms of cash and in terms of debt through like credit cards, and I'm just going to spend all of that with no concern for like what the, the actual results are. And I mean, it, it, I mean, there's not much to say about that. It's just stupid. Now, a lot of people live that way. A lot of people are paycheck to paycheck and think that just because they have the money, they're able to spend the money through their credit card, which means that they're able to spend the money in it. No, you, you can't just spend all the money you have available. You have to live humbly, and um, that's the only way. I mean, live below your means is true no matter what lifestyle you're living. The idea with the fast lane is just grow those means, have a vehicle that leads to production of and the accumulation of massive wealth rather than and and, and control that vehicle is sort of the key idea. And so that, that's sort of the three lanes that um, MJ DeMarco talks about in Millionaire Fast Lane. And really the only one that's going to guarantee that you, you hit your goals, which a million dollars doesn't go very far anymore. You're more looking at five million, ten million. But regardless, it's the same principles whether you want a billion, ten billion, a trillion, whatever. It's the same idea. You want to start some sort of business that's going to separate your time from your money, that allows you to scale, that allows you to have control over how you make your money and then from there you just grow and expand that asset until it becomes valuable enough for you to sell and exit and then do it again if you want or 
get it to where it's so passive that it's just printing money until the day you die. Yeah. This book is like, oftentimes when you read entrepreneurship books, they talk about the ideology that you need to follow in order to have a successful startup and whatnot. And sort of that only that that entrepreneurship lifestyle, only that quote unquote fast lane approach. But not many authors spend the time to really dog on that that slow lane approach. The 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 approach that we're often taught in school and potentially by your parents, friends, peers, anyone really around you. And so that's kind of why I, I one of the main reasons why I do like this book, because he spends such a, a large portion of the book kind of just trying to tell you why what you're doing and many other people are doing is is wrong and why it's not going to get you to where you want to go go because we have these these goals like these big goals like buying the lamborghini or something buying our freedom being able to pay for our children's college you know straight up out of pocket and while those goals are great the system that we have in place which is a system that we've all bought into isn't going to get us to where we need to go if those are our goals right like um, and I don't think it's that like these people are dumb by any means. I just think it's that they're not necessarily like informed, like people can go their entire life without knowing some of the stuff that's in this book. Right. Like, and I think there are going to be plenty of people that go the, the rest of their life thinking that the best way to live your life is the, um, the slow lane approach, right? The people that are on the sidewalk, right? as described by um, MJ DeMarco, those people probably think that the best way to live your life, even though they, they're obviously not doing it, they probably think the ideal way to, to do it would be to go to college, get your degree, work for a good company, invest your money and, and all that. And, you know, maybe, maybe they just won't be informed. And that's, I don't know, it's kind of unfortunate, but like if, if you haven't read this book and, you don't know much about the the lanes and you want to learn more on top of what BJ and I are saying. I definitely think you should read the book because maybe it'll give you that aha moment. You're like, you're like, okay, well, I have these dreams now. Let's get that system in place that will help me get to where I want to go because the system is pretty much everything at the end of the day in accomplishing those goals. Yeah. Reading the book is definitely compelling. I, I think he can phrase a lot of things much better than we can say and convince you that well, well th that this is pretty much the only route uh, unless you're like really, really good, right? If, if you're p capable of being a pro athlete or pop star, go for that. Like that's a great way. That's a great way to get a ton of money very, very quickly. If, if you, if you are already in a you know C-suite executive position, the, you you still have a lot of the fast lane components, and so you actually do have a well thought out method of success. But for all the normal people like us, <laughs> everyone who's not significantly skilled, who doesn't have a, a some in at a c-suite office or something you're going to need to start a business and there are like five main components that he says this business needs to have to really be a fast lane business rather than just another job 
and the DFNICE acronym, SENSE, uh, which is a good reminder that to have millions and millions of dollars, you have to first make sense. And so, uh, and it's not about, you know, how can I start a business that will make $5,000? That's the wrong approach. How do you start a business that can make you a single cent? Like, it all breaks down to small components. And so before you can make a million dollars or $5,000 a month or whatever, you have to make your first cent and get your first sale, which a $100 startup talks a lot about is that first were $2.47 or whatever it was, right? Yeah. But uh, so the sense acronym C for control, that you need to be able to control your vehicle. You can't be dependent on other people. Uh, so you, you, whatever your vehicle is, it can't be completely dependent on, oh, and that's not other people. It does not mean companies. It means individual individuals. And, uh, it, it, sorry. Uh, the not dependent upon other people can't, doesn't mean don't be dependent upon customers. Everything you do is going to be dependent on someone finding value in what you say. It can't be dependent upon other companies or other individuals. Like, um, a lot of people talk about affiliate marketing and how, oh, it's such a great side hustle to do affiliate marketing. Well, Amazon slashed all their rates pretty recently by like 50%. So everyone who was fully dependent upon Amazon and didn't have control, they their income was cut in half and there was nothing really they could do. So you want control. You want the ability to decide what's happening uh, in terms of like the product or service you're providing. You want to be able to control um, your brand and the more control you have the more both sort of the, you bear more risk but you also get more of the reward and you're building it in your own name right like Naval talks about and so because you're controlling it because you're taking personal responsibility if it succeeds you'll be given all the rewards of that success and no one can take it away from you uh, E for entry it can't be a easy business. You can get rich quick. You can't get rich easily. So if if it's a business everyone can start, it's probably not a great business to get into because even if you can make some money, immediately as soon as you start making money, everyone will see that and a whole ton of people will just copy you and you'll enter where it will get into a situation where everyone's margins are driven down because everyone's doing the same thing and not actually providing unique, significant value. Uh, and as for a need, so it has to be essential. Uh, like, I, I mean, not it doesn't have to be insulin essential, but it, it should be something that really, really matters to people. It has to be something super frustrating. It's something I would pay money for this to be fixed. They should be happy to throw their money at you because you're doing some great thing. Um, T is for time. It, like uh, Warren Buffett said and like Gavin loves to quote, I think he's quoted it several times now. If you don't find a way to make money while you're asleep, you'll be working until the day you die. You, you need your vehicle to be separate from time. And then S is for scale. It needs to be able to reach 
more than just your local community to really have skill. You think globally, if you can, nationwide, uh, it, a hot dog stand, while it is, while they have control, while there is some barriers of entry, while it is a need and it still doesn't fit the scale because it only can conceivably hit a small number of people. And so I, I think he said that the he wrote an article for his blog that's like the shortest guide to making millions. And it was two words, impact millions. That's how you make millions, impact millions. If you can sell a million of anything, if you can get a million eyeballs on something, you will make millions. But you can't do that if you're limited, if your scale is limited, right? And so that's the key to a fast lane business. That's the key to sort of entering into this um, route where you can actually get rich quick. Where it's not a, a scam, it's not a trick. You can actually get rich quick. It's just you have to have a business of this type where you're in control. You're not buying into someone else's idea where they're getting rich off you, like Naval talks a lot about. Yeah, and in this book, he, he talks about like, uh, you can do a few different things. You can either impact a small percentage of people, a small number of people in a big way, which is like, uh, I'm sure BJ could talk about that for a long time because that's what he wants to do. Um, you could also impact a lot of people in a small way, which is kind of like, um, I don't know. Mr. Beast. Like, yeah, something like that. Or you can impact a lot of people in a big way, which is like Apple, like iPhone. Like that's impacting so many different people and it's impacting their life in such a big way, right? Like there, there's a bunch of different things that you can do. And if you're able to impact a lot of people in a big way, that's how you're going to make, that's how you're going to become a billionaire, trillionaire, you name it. Um, Apple's, are they the, based on market cap, the largest company in the world? I want to say they're up there. Uh, maybe they're number one, but it, it, regardless, uh, they were able to impact, you know, millions of people in an extraordinary way. And so that's how like, a good way to tell how much value you're providing society is how much money people are willing to pay you for your product or service. I'm not going to sit here and say that just because people are giving you money doesn't mean that you're providing like the most value or something like that. Um, I, I do think it is a pretty solid indicator though. Like if people are willing to give you money in exchange for something that you're providing them, then, you know, chances are that you're doing a fairly good job. Like they're not willing to go to somebody else or something like that. Right. And so he, he talks about that in this book, right? Like the impacting however many people and, and how, whatever magnitude. Right. And so that's something that's, you know, important to define for yourself. Like, do you want to impact a lot of people? Do you want to impact a small number of people? I think like in Nathan Lodka's book, he talks about how he just wanted to impact, you know, like 50 clients a month, right? He literally made made it like a limit where he wouldn't do, do more than 50 people uh, for his subscription because he didn't want to deal with a bunch of people. He knew that the only helping 50 people would save him a lot of time and he would still be getting enough money, right? Because he was able to pay a lot of money for his, his service for, um, the venture capital guys. And so 
that's something that I think is is pretty important to to think about because it it goes it ties in with with need and scale for the what he talked about with sense. And so I think I think when you're you're coming up with your idea and 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 you're implementing it, that's something that you need to to sort of define for yourself like how big do you want to get? Um it kind of reminds me of like in a way the the $100 startup book um, I forgot the guy's name that made that book. Do you remember? Chris Gillibo? Yeah, that guy. Um, he talks about how, and a lot of the examples he used in his book were people that stayed small on purpose, right? Like they didn't want to hire a bunch of other people to work for them. They stayed small because they felt like it was the best thing to do for their situation. And so... You, you kind of just really have to define what that looks like for you. You could hire a bunch of people, you could outsource, or you could just keep it small and just be a one-man team. Yeah. Uh, the, the impact millions will um, have a large magnitude of impact on a small number of people. Like, it's if you want to make a million dollars a year, let's say that's your goal. It's very easy math on that. You can have one person may, paying you a million dollars every year. You can have 10 people paying you $100,000 every year. You can have a hundred people paying you ten thousand dollars every year, so on and so forth. You can have ten a hundred thousand people paying you ten dollars a year, right? And there are advantages to both with um, having ten people paying you ten a uh, hundred thousand dollars. Like, if you lose one client, that's a big hit, right? But if you can have those ten clients be super loyal, you can focus on them and keep them. And so I kind of like that idea because you sort of need less staff, right? Be, be, because you're hitting those clients, you can... It, it looks like less work almost, but it's um, but it's very high-ticket, high-focus stuff. That's your B2B stuff more than actual individuals. You'll probably be hitting 10 companies paying you $100,000 a year. But with, um, with you know, having... 100,000 people pay you $10 a month, uh, $10 a year, that's something like Spotify, where, like, everyone's paying just a little bit, and some people, you know, will, every month, some people will leave, but so long as you're gaining more people than you're losing, you it's just going to print money. Uh, but as you grow, you're going to need a lot more staff, it's going to get a lot bigger, uh, and then you start experiencing network effects, which can be nice and so there are benefits to both um but the end result is just the simple math you're gonna have it's price and quantity right that's what's going to result in revenue um and so if you can have and on the does price indicate value um i i think it's definitely a strong correlation especially if the repeat customers if if you scam them out of their money once, it doesn't mean you've provided value. If you if you've tricked them into paying you a ton of money for something that isn't worth that much, that's not actually providing value. But if they come back again and again, that indicates that there's something valuable that's worth. I I mean even with like a YouTube channel, if you go back and continuously spend your hours watching their videos, that indicates that you find it valuable, that it's worth more than your time, and so. Uh, that indicates value. Where uh, if you know if you've done clickbait and they'll click on it once and then block your channel, right? 
that that's doesn't quite line up with value and so you you but at the end of the day you do need to provide value and that's a useless statement at the same time it's the mo one of the most important things it's completely useless to say provide value that that's the same as saying be useful like it's not it's not a useful statement but that is what it all breaks down to if you're not helping other people if you're not actually providing something that's useful no one's going to pay you any money and so that's and so then yeah even how do you provide that value and there's uh naval talks about this there's really four ways um that you can provide value through four uh you i don't know what you want to call them leverage systems whatever you you can do it through um your own capital, your own money, investing, right? That's going to provide value to other people because they can use their money to, your money to pursue things, uh, pursue their business ventures or whatever, and you'll earn interest on that. You can do it through labor. You can hire other people to help. You can use um, code or you can use media, which scales super well and they're permissionless. Meaning anyone can start anyone can start a YouTube channel or create a podcast like what we're doing. The those are the one and this podcast could reach millions of people. I think we're about to break ten thousand views on the channel, right? Which is crazy to me. Because mm -hmm. like I don't think I can imagine ten thousand people. But that's the power of media and this is the reason why you're able to do that is through the code of YouTube and the code of Spotify and all the other platforms we're on. And so if I had to pick ones, code and media are the go-tos. If you can do both simultaneously, right? Uh, which book said, uh, was it traction? You should do, you should do spend half your time on marketing, half your time on coding. Yeah, it was traction. Yeah. Yeah you really should do both and whether if you need a partner to make that happen then that's a great combination a lot of the great you know steve Wozniak, steve jobs one's coding one's marketing and sales but um whatever it takes to get that done where you're splitting your time like that and able to reach the most people with the best technology that would be my go-to and so i really think that's sort of a key element of this is when you're providing value to do it in such a way that you're able to actually have the scale to impact all those people because that's the best way to make the money. And the book spends a lot of time talking about, you know, what type of businesses has this qualities. Um, and I, I think internet businesses are the best. That's subjective, but uh, it, uh, look at all the trillion dollar companies right yeah and it's like bootstrapping as well like yeah if you're if you're starting off it's it's very difficult doing it without code right so, like yeah I, I mean bootstrapping the, the the fact is that computers are laborers that don't complain about working conditions that can work all night and you can pay them very little yeah and it's fine um, we'll see what, how that works once we get sentient and AI that can act like humans, but. <laughs> uh, the unfortunate part is we're going to see that day. Probably. probably. Yeah. 
we're, we're seeing sparks of it with ChatGPT. But um, at, at the end of the day, code is just so, so valuable and so inexpensive, both to learn how to code and the, the systems you would have to employ to deploy, like actually s deploy the uh, your application. It's so, so cheap that it's kind of stupid not to be utilizing code um, to scale your operations. And so, like, really, I mean, if you're just starting off, learning how to code is a great place to start. You can just think about what you want to build and then learn how to build it. And don't be intimidated because... At the end, well, what it actually is, if you think, oh, I don't know how to build this, that's good. That means a lot of other people don't know how, and that's a barrier to entry, right? Like, for me, I don't, despite being a programmer, I don't really want to code secure transactions that handle, like, credit card information, right? And so I can get a third party to handle that, but they're going to take some percentage of it. And so I'm sort of thinking that maybe doing secure transactions really isn't that hard and I could do them. And then, but, uh, you know, there, there's that barrier of entry that, oh, I think I can't. And so this business is making a lot of money off people who don't want to be responsible for those secure transactions. And so like Stripe or PayPal, right? And so figuring out just the business you want to start and how you can scale it and your vehicle I think is going to be super super important when figuring out your fast lane business yeah and even before like focusing on leverage you're gonna to have to come up with an idea and one thing that uh, I think um, he points out in this book that's important to, to note is Oftentimes, when you come up with an idea, you're going to do some research and you're going to find that your idea is already being done by a few other people. And that's okay, though, because the chances of you finding something that hasn't already been tried or, or isn't already being done is pretty slim. And oftentimes, what you're going to have to do is you're going to take that idea and you're going to twist it in a, in a small way, make it... Uh, something that kind of maybe ties in with you or or you think is going to be better for that specific niche and just go straight ahead. Like it's okay to have multiple companies doing the same thing, right? Like if this market share is big, then, you know, you could have half and the other person could have half or you could, you know, try to get them out and do it better, right? Because I think a while back, I kind of bought into the idea that in order to make a lot of money in entrepreneurship, you need to do something that nobody else is doing. But that's, I don't think that's the case because even like, let's say we, we hone in on like the edge case where you do find something that nobody's doing. Okay. And, and then you start doing it and everybody else is like, dang, that's a really good idea. And then a bunch of other people swarm you and try to do the same thing as you. And, Sooner or later, like a, a few months after you had initially started, there's a bunch of other companies in this niche, which is probably not going to be true. But let's pretend it, it did happen. That that's that's I'm sure like that's what the outcome would be. A bunch of other people kind of go in pretty quickly. So that first movers advantage that you get is going to 
go away pretty quickly. So if, if you do come up with an idea that you think is going to provide a lot of value to society, i.e. people are going to pay you for your product or service, and you find that somebody is doing something very similar to what you had in mind, I think that's okay, right? That's okay. You could do the same thing and um, try to beat them, right? I think it was funny because in the book, he um, used the example that like there were already a few people doing, like he made his money off like a limo thing. Like it it was kind of like Uber, right? And it just hooked you up with drivers or something like that. Yeah, I forgot the specifics. It, it was originally a directory for like limo companies online when the internet was first coming out. And then it shifted yeah. from directory to lead generation where like the companies could pursue particular people that uh, would make good clients and get sales through that. And so, but the end idea was, yeah, just connecting buyers and sellers for the limo services. Yeah, and it's like it's not. He said there were already, you know, a few other companies doing that at the time. And what he did was it was kind of funny because he he went on his his website and put like a bunch of different names and pictures of people that he said were working for his company that weren't. And what all, <laughs> he did that to like scare away competition because what's going to happen is people are going to come up with an idea, and they're going to go surf the internet to see if other people are doing it. Okay, and when they find other people that are doing it. They're going to scroll through your website to see how well established you are. Because if, you know, if you're just starting off, you know, it's going to look that more interesting for them to, to go in the market. Oh, man, there's, you know, there's a couple already um, companies already doing it, but they don't look very good. Right. And so I may as well come in and try to take some of the market share. But what he did was he made it look like his company was a lot more well established than it, than it actually was. And um, he thinks it, it helped scare away some of the the would be people that you know, potentially would come in and, and take some of his clients. So I thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, I say all this to say that, like, if you come up with an idea, somebody's already doing it, don't let that that hold you back. Because I swear 99 plus percent of the time that is going to be the case. So I, I mean, yeah, it, with the uh, having projecting that it was a big company, the other thing that he said happened was he, he would look like a big corporation. And then when it came to customer service, it would be like super personalized and like mm -hmm. super well done. And so everyone was just surprised by, oh, this company has great customer service, even though it's a massive company, which it wasn't. And, and that was helpful because it like shattered the expectations and made people committed customers to his service just because it looked like his customer support was doing great. Um, and it was, but uh, it wasn't because it was a big company. And so that's another sort of benefit is with the customer service, be sure to shatter their expectations in a positive way. Um, and then the other thing on just having unique ideas. Yeah, it doesn't really exist. Um, if Uber had thought that, oh, taxis have it covered. <laughs> like, yes, taxis were doing the same thing Uber is kind of doing. But... They, they did a little twist on it where the drivers are just anybody and it works out well. And now they're a massive company. Uh, both Google and Yahoo exist. Yahoo existed before Google. If Google hadn't yeah. realized that, oh, we can do something a little bit different, we can do something a little bit better, it, it can, then we wouldn't have 
the massive, massive company that is now Google, right? And what a different world that might be. But um, with having unique ideas, like, you don't need to be concerned about the unique ideas. The real concern is, are you providing value? Are you providing value to a, a specific group of people that you can help? Um, well, I was talking about one of uh, my ideas for a tool that would help with social media um, marketing. And uh, it was with a couple of friends. And, it, and they sort of like, oh, aren't you concerned about someone like taking the idea? Like, aren't you concerned that we might take your idea? No. And like, go for it. I, I would like to see you try. Because ideas are cheap. You can get ideas anywhere. Ideas that, it's all about the execution, right? And if you have an idea that you think you can't talk about because anyone who hears it could be able to steal it, it's a bad idea. Be because if anyone can steal it, then you're going to hit so much competition immediately that you're not going to make any money. Like, as soon as you do it, even if it's a brand new idea, as soon as people figure out you're making money, everyone's just going to copy you because it's that easy. Go being first rarely matters. There's only a few markets where it's winner take all. Like, social media... Like, I don't want to start a social media company, even though, like, I don't want to start a platform. Because it's kind of winner's take all. And you, now, we're seeing that, oh, LinkedIn versus Facebook. LinkedIn has differentiating factors, right? It's a more business-focused platform. It leads to different sort of people, different content, different mindset. And that's actually pretty valuable. But, uh, and so, like, you, even though... You know, Facebook and social media might be a winner-take-all because of network effects, where the, the, the biggest person always wins. There, there's still some room for competition, uh, even though 90% is probably going to be controlled by one player. Same thing with, like, Amazon and search engines, with like Google, right? It, there's one major player, and there, then there's a ton of smaller ones that are more niche with some differentiating factor that makes it where they can compete. But... You, you don't need to be concerned about change. In fact, I think you should share your ideas. Get feedback. Like, if you can share your ideas and get free yeah. feedback, that's super valuable. Get critiques. Figure out what's wrong with it before you spend a ton of money trying to build something that won't work because of one key thing, right? You, you should talk about your ideas. You, I would love for the comment section to f be filled up with just people sharing all their business ideas. Like, everything that they think they want to build. And then just come back to this video anytime you need inspiration. Um, but like you really don't need to be concerned about someone stealing your idea as much as... Like, that, the whole thing is just populated from the social network. Like The movie just gets everyone terrified, oh, someone's going to steal my idea and make billions off it. But that's really not a concern. Um, I say this now, and then when I lose billions because someone stole my idea, I'm going to be eating these words. But I really don't think that's going to happen. I, I, I think ideas are cheap. Uh, you can get ideas from anywhere. That There are plenty of good ideas and ways you can make money. It's all about the execution. It's all about you know your unique value you're providing. And so, uh, yeah, I wouldn't... I'm not concerned with people stealing my ideas. There's no reason to be. And like, the, the funny thing is, they, they were talking about, like, ideas aren't copyrighted. You should, like, write it down, and then you'll have copyright over the idea. And I'm like, it, it exists. There, there's 20 companies doing this at least. 
There are 20 multi-million dollar companies doing this. It's fine. I, I know it exists, but we're going to do it better. We're going to hit this specific market. We're going to have this specific strategy and it could work. It's just an idea. And so, yeah, I, I think the Millionaire Fastlane does talk a decent bit about ideas and um, the end conclusion is there's more ideas than you can actually pursue. And really the key is not to get distracted by all the ideas you eventually start having once you start looking for problems to solve. It's really easy to get distracted by all these different business prospects. And you really do need to focus on just one, maybe two business ideas at a time. Um, two, if they can build off each other. If they provide one provides value to the other and it's actually easier to do them together rather than separate. But really one is your goal. One system that will make... Because this is a quote from Mark Cuban. You only have to be right once. Mark Cuban started the first internet streaming company so he could watch basketball. And that has funded everything else he does. He now owns probably dozens, if not hundreds of businesses. But that's because he was right once. And that's all he needed. And he could have lived off that one idea for the rest of his life. But... Oh, yeah. Instead, he decided to do Shark Tank, which I think is much more fun. And now he's doing cost plus drugs, which is very, I think, beneficial from society. So start with one and then you can do all the your other I, businesses you want. And I'm the worst culprit of being distracted by many ideas. But I, uh, I, yeah. am, I am <laughs> I am focused. That's on that. true. Yes, that is very true, guys. He is not lying when he says that. But yeah, there's a chapter in this book pretty much dedicated to that topic. Um, monogamy is better than polygamy, essentially. I think that's what he titled it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we don't have to get into the whole relationship part, what, what we think is better. Um, but, you know, up to you. But I think, I think it, it is definitely a good idea to, you know, specialize and, and find that, that one thing and just spend a lot of time doing it, especially if you know, like it's it's meaningful to you if you're able to spend a lot of time doing that that said thing each week. You know, I don't know. I, I always think back to like the PayPal mafia and how fun those guys were having going into the office, working late nights, sleeping there, you know, just enjoying each other's company when they were when they were young, when they had big dreams and aspirations. I, you know, doing something like that would be cool. What do you mean when they had big dreams? Musk wants to go have a million people on Mars. I mean, <laughs> was that his dream back then? Like, I, I don't think so. I, I, I probably I think, not. I think he just wanted to start a company and do it well. And now he's everything he does is committed to that idea of getting to Mars. Yeah, I mean, who's to say that the PayPal dream wasn't a big? I think the the Mars one's bigger, but yeah, uh, I think needless to say they were all fairly decently sized. But you know, just. Coming up with that idea and, and, and knowing that there are probably going to be other people out there already doing the same thing. Um, don't get caught up in uh, five, ten different ideas at the same time. You know, get get advice from other people. It's okay to share your ideas around. You don't need to be that guy, like BJ was saying, that needs to like copyright something or something like that before you can share or, or make another person sign an NDA before you share your idea with them. I, I kind of think that's absurd. Yep. So um, I, 
think BJ was in that situation one time. No, no, Were you in that? Did no, he ask for an idea? No, uh, someone wanted to talk about a business idea, and they just would did not follow through at all. And mm. but I, I was like, if I show up and he has an NDA or whatever, I'm I'm not listening to the idea. I don't care. It, it, it's if the idea can be copied that easily, it's not something I want to pursue. Yeah, because at that point you're you're getting caught up in the wrong. You're you're getting caught up in and like, um. Yeah. I forgot what company it was. Um, don't maybe it was like Polaroid or something like that. But they had like, um, they came out with this like a new camera or something like that. Maybe it was like the first digital camera or something like that. And they were like, no, nah, let's bury this thing. Like, um, let, let's make sure no one else finds out about this, this piece of, of technology. Um, and you know, I, maybe they copyrighted or patented it or, or whatever um, they did. And like, once it came to an end, like a bunch of other companies, like they came to the scene and made this technology and it like pretty much took them out of business. Like, instead of like, trying to hide your idea and make sure nobody else takes it just go like you know use it like i mean uh your idea is really that easy to copy like don't do it you know i don't know yeah but yeah i, I think this book overall is it's not going to teach you about like the intro like the intricacies of entrepreneurship and like what you need to do specifically. I mean, there are other pretty good books already available for that. This book is pretty much trying to sell you on the ideology that working your nine to five and investing X amount of money in your bank account is not going to get you to buy that Lamborghini. You know, like when you see those people in their, their late twenties, early thirties driving Lamborghinis down the road, who knows? Maybe they rented it for a day and they're just trying to flex, or maybe they actually did buy it. Let's let's talk about people that actually did buy it, right? Like, how do you think they bought it? Do you think they they bought it working their nine to five, making a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a year, and um, investing, you know, a fair portion of that into the S and P five hundred, and you know, putting money in their four hundred one k, all that? I don't think so. You know how long that would take, like. Even if you were making like 200k a year, which is well above the national average, like even if you were making that much money, like, like if you still managed to buy that Lamborghini, like, you're you'd probably be living in an apartment because it drained you so much. Like, you wouldn't have land, you know. It's like all that, and so you have to ask yourself, like, how does a person afford that at a reasonable time? And they did it. Because they were able to come up with an idea that benefited a bunch of different people, or maybe a few different people in a large way, and they're able to add value to society. And how do we know that they're able to provide value to society? Well, people were willing to pay them for their product or service. And because of that, they made a lot of money. Their inputs weren't closely tied with their outputs. They were able to earn money while they slept. And at the end of the day, they were able to buy that Lamborghini at a reasonable time. Um, and not have freedom when they turn 70 years old, like the slow lane approach will pretty much allow you to do. But yeah, I mean, that that's really, at the end of the day, what I would take away from, from this book. Yeah, I think my number key takeaway is the sense and the leverage and just looking for situations where those things become apparent, where you have control, where you have scale, where you have your time back. What situations create things that are hard to compete with 
what situations create, well, what needs exist, what problems can you solve? And if you have that mindset and you're constantly looking for those, you'll start to see those things everywhere. And it's now just about what do you want to do and pursuing that. And so that's probably my number one takeaway is if you already buy into this idea that the slow lane doesn't work, the slow lane maybe gives you the freedom and wealth when you're 70, most likely it doesn't provide anything of value life long term. <laughs> it's just someone else making money off you. And so uh, if you already know that, if you already bought into the idea that you're an entrepreneur, then this book can tell you that's the, what, what sort of businesses are you looking for? What so, sort of opportunities are out there? And sort of give you a framework for decision making where it's like, this is the type of stuff that I should be looking for. And if I start seeing things that violate these rules, then it's probably something, there's probably something missing, right? There's probably some components I'm not seeing because this isn't following the pattern I would expect for a successful fast lane business. And so I think it's really a helpful book about decision making with um, good ideas. Uh, and so uh, I, I think that's a good place to leave off. And so thank you so much for, for watching everyone. You know, standard stuff. Please subscribe. We'll, oh, we got a lot of subs recently, and so I'm very excited for that. And help us break 10K views. Check out our other videos. We talked a lot about Naval. We talked a lot about $100 Startup. Um, we didn't mention Atomic Habits. Wow. I, I mentioned systems in the very beginning and I, but, I alluded to the idea, but it wasn't, but every, uh, we didn't mention it explicitly. Nathan Locker and hundred dollars startup both talk about systems too. So it was ambiguous. Wow. That's a significant thing. If you've made it this far, be sure to subscribe because very few people have seen an episode that does not reference atomic habits. You're one of the few and you should take that to mean that you wanted a few who should subscribe. So, but comment, like, all that good stuff. We'll see you next Tuesday at noon. Thank you so much.